Okay. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your hosts, John. Uh, I yeah. Yeah. Wait. Hold on, <laughs> David. <laughs> John, work, from where? I work. I work at Triaxis. I'm a. I'm a slave at Triaxis. Anyways, please continue. Sorry, I'm David from Contraption Collection. I'm Dalen from MachineWise. And I am Grant from Fellowship Blades. Oh, uh, yeah, um, uh, 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 <laughs> oh my God! Who's excited? Whose week is good? Who's what? What are you guys doing? Uh, I had a pretty good week. Good. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so at the beginning of the week, or I guess technically last week, uh, I engaged to my, I got engaged to my girlfriend. How do you say that? Uh, I proposed to my girlfriend. She said yes, and so that was very good start to the week. Yep, that's exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a long time coming, and we're we're very excited. Nice. Um, <laughs> trying to think. Uh, we so last week we had a run. We scrapped like twelve blades. I, I don't even no. remember. Um, nice. we, we basically lost all of last week's production. Um, but in doing so, ended up fixing everything. We're back on track. So. Nice. This week, hit the ground running, blades, everything coming off, perfect parts. Uh, I don't remember when this happened, but I got the but lollipop deburring nailed down. So now there's a tiny little chamfer on the internals of all, our, all of our handles now. That's ex- very uh, exciting. Very cool. And yeah, no more manually deburring. Um, they just come off, go into the tumbler, and then assemble. And it's just yep. super nice. Hell yeah. Um, broke a bunch of end mills trying to figure out how to drill with an end mill because I don't usually do that. So yep. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, oh, I'll talk about it. So today, um, you know, we finally kind of got back in our groove and whatever. And Zeke comes in at uh, six o'clock. And so and I come in at like 10. Um, yep. So he's usually just running the mill and, and he never texts me because I told him, I was like, look, if something's really bad, like I'll worry about it when I get there. But like, don't wake me up because then I'm going to hit the shop and not be prepared. Um, and so he he texted me at like eight and then, um, and I, I'm usually up there. So I, I looked at it and the Haas was leaking coolant out the back overnight. Um, mm-hmm. so it drained our entire coolant tank. Oh. And so uh, somehow the blades turned out fine, but this morning there was no coolant in the machine basically. Oh. And there was a giant flood around it. Luckily that. We have a door that's right behind the house, like a big garage door, and that's the low point. So it all kind of oh, goes out that door. That's nice. Self-draining yeah. shop. Yeah, so we, it didn't actually flood the shop. It just flooded, like, the five feet behind the, the house. Yep. Um, and so I was like, ah, oh, darn it. Like, this is, you know, this is going to be a bad day. And I roll up to the shop, and I'm, I kind of rolled up late because I was like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go to the shop. <laughs> I don't want to work today. Um, but I roll up and saw there's clearly it's draining out of the casting. Um, so the Y axis, um, you know, where the ball screw is, everything I, I popped off the back cover and there's, there's just cool puddling there and it's just leaking at the back. Um, and I was like, that's kind of odd, but it it tells me that some seal somewhere is broken. At least it's not like a broken fitting somewhere else. Um, and so I'm started like tinkering, figuring out. I shine my, a flashlight like right in a specific spot. Kind of miracle that I did this, but right between the way cover of the y-axis on the backside and the casting itself, there's a quarter inch gap where the way cover kind of moves back and forth. And there's a seal in front of all that area, but there's this little like alley, 
And I just saw, you know, yellow, yellowish coolant pulling up right in that crack and then puddling down from there. I, it, it was kind of a miracle because you couldn't actually see any like drips from anywhere. It was just I literally saw a, a puddle forming in that. And I looked in the machine and there's literally just a pile of chips in that corner. There's no like damage. There's no specific thing. It's just chips have piled up to a degree that the coolant was now funneling itself towards the towards the sheet metal on the back yep. as opposed to down the machine. And that was enough to get past the seal. Um <laughs> So and I was like, "What the hell? Like this, this ain't right." And so I took the seal off, and it's a paper seal. It's like it's like what you put on an old carbureted uh, oh, engine, yep. like a cardboard type gasket. Yeah, uh-huh. that's it, that's what it was. With it was like a cardboard gasket or, or paper gasket with some form of. I'm gonna say latex is the only thing I think it could be because it was like stretchy film. It was really yep. weird. Huh. Um. And it was completely mutilated. The, the seal was gone in like three places. Jeez. And so, so it tr- I just knocked the chips off and it stopped flooding the casting. But it was like, okay, okay. obviously we need to replace the seal because this is right. going to happen again. Um, so we cleaned it off. I went to Home Depot and got some silicone. Siliconed it up. Literally perfect. Um, put it back together. Easy fix. Up Back up in an hour. Okay. Um, and so... One of those days where I was I was prepared to have a have a John day, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, That's good. <laughs> so yeah, overall pretty good week though. We're we're crushing production right now. Nice. Um, we're doing four four sets of handles a day, and then Zeke is picking up weekends to, to just start blades in the morning or afternoon, kind of whenever. I, okay. I was like, I'll pay you like quadruple overtime just to hit a couple buttons in the morning. Um, <laughs> And so now, technically, if everything goes well, we should get like 18 knives a week. Oh, uh, nice. Which is pretty baller. Hell yeah. Can we uh, talk about drilling with end mills? Yes. So um, I have 20 tools. And really, I have 19 tools because one of them is a probe. And um, I wanted to put this this lollipop end mill. um, And I I really, I I need like six more end mills. I want to put finishers on everything. I want to have semi-finishers. But regardless, I'm out of tools. I'm out of tool pockets. Everything's booked. And so uh, at some point, I was talking to Dalen. I don't know if this was the last podcast or or when, but he, you don't use drills at all, right? Like you don't have I have not used a drill in since my last job. Right. I, I talked about a few podcasts ago. I, on my handles, I don't use drills anymore. Okay, yeah. So y'all have been talking about this, and I'm late to the party because in my head, engineering school has told me that drills are literally the fastest way to remove material. Your they your are. arm, uh, what is it? M R M. And I I am plunging with them, but it's aluminum, so that's why I wanted to talk more about it. Is I feel like it's probably pretty easy in aluminum compared to titanium. Yeah, well, so the aluminum that I've done, I just most I use really tiny end mills for my aluminum stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and I helical, I helical, helical. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> circ terp, circular interpolate. I I or... ramp down in a circular motion <laughs> to yep. yeah. to bore out the uh, the holes as opposed to drilling or to you know pecking with an end mill. So aluminum, fine. I haven't had any issue. I haven't even broken an aluminum end mill. I don't think, which is astounding for me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I had this three sixteenth drill that all it does is uh, drill the bottom of the channel, uh, the side channel for the Medusas, because that's a three sixteenth hole. It 
it uh, relieves material in the bottom of the actual blade channel um, because I was trying not to plug with an end mill. So I, I clear it out with the drill and then the end mill comes up and, and starts its adaptive. And then it, dr- it pre-drills the, the pivot hole, which then gets finished with the 532nd. Uh, so all it's doing is like a couple pre-drilling operations. Everything else could be handled with a, a an end mill or just replacing it. And I have this 3 end mill that has super long flutes because it does the uh, jimping on the sides of the handles. Yep. And that's all it does. It literally has a five-second operation, and that's it. So I don't replace that end mill. I don't think I've replaced it in like six months. <laughs> um, so I was like, you know what? Worst case, if this end mill's tool life goes a little bit lower, I'm okay with that. And it's a 3 It's a perfect fit. So ended up basically... And Dalen and... and you guys may have a better advice, but what I ended up with is I use uh, the deep drilling uh, yes. cycle with, I think, 50 thou peck depths. Oh, fair enough. Um, okay. No, no, wait. I started 50 and I, I moved down to 20. Um, 20 okay. thou peck depths. And so what that does for, for the listeners is no matter how far in the hole, it'll peck 20 thou and then come all the way back above the hole so that it fully clears out the chips. Where if you just peck, it'll peck like 20 thou and then peck back up 50 thou but you're still within the hole and um i believe this to be true and i may be wrong but end mills don't clear chips as well as drills do they're they They have smaller flutes you know the less ideal cutting geometry so ideally the whole thing is you're packing chips if you're doing it too aggressive or if you if you're not clearing the chips well enough if you had through spindle cooling on an end mill, this probably wouldn't even be a problem, but I don't. So right, yeah, um, yeah. So I use the the full uh, deep drilling cycle with the twenty thou peck depth, and I was actually able to get pretty aggressive. I think I'm I'm doing two or three thou chip per tooth. Um, wow, okay. And because I was just looking at the chips and they were coming out really clean, I was like, this is kind of yep. great. Um, but but it's that that peck cycle that really was the thing. And because I was trying to do it other ways, I was trying to just straight plunge it and broke so yeah, many end yeah. mills. Yeah. Um, how many emails so how out deep of the whole are you steaming? going oh sorry so, uh, uh one dalen first <laughs> <laughs> i was making more of a joke but how many emails came out of the hole and it was steaming afterwards <laughs> i i there are five pieces of of titanium with end mills stuck in them excellent oh, so and this- there's a lot of little end mills scattered across the, <laughs> the <laughs> yep. so how deep of hole do you think you're drilling uh, it's a little bit, the, the deepest hole is about half an inch, I think. Um, okay. So that's like deeper than anything I'm doing, but, right. and, and it's, and yeah, it's like I said, I'm doing aluminum. Uh, but that, I still feel like 20 thou peck is not that much. I, I feel like you could, you could do bigger packs. It's a I, I, I'm not doing any packs, but I don't, I definitely I, don't have to for that, what I'm doing. I, I That's don't more mean than this, what I would do. Funny enough. Well, so I, I don't mean this to be insulting. Uh, I hope you don't take it that way. But if you have a way to do it, I would love to hear it. I failed. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> it was like thirty thou, and things started breaking. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And and I, and I play with the feed rate, and I I kind of wanted larger chips. So so I I think there could be a, a trade off with. I'm doing like two thou per flute or something, or two thou per per tooth. Maybe you could do a larger thing with with smaller chips or even larger chips. I went both ways and I I kept breaking things. And so twenty thou the the less pecking depth the better everything got. And twenty thou was a good compromise for me. So what, what's the uh, what's the uh, a plunge rate come out to? Uh, 
Oh, uh, I think it's if I remember right, it's like eight inches a minute, but I I could yep. be totally off on that. Mm, yeah, yeah. I feel like because so it's four flutes. Uh, no, this is a five flute. A five flutes. Yeah, five flute. Yeah, at uh, well, okay. Yeah, there's maybe more, flute. more uh, chip packing. So um, if if you're using a two flute, I'm sure that you could peck a lot deeper because that's basically a drill. Um, yep. But but a five flute, your your flutes are really small, um, yeah. so you're relying a heavily. Is it so. a high helix? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not great. No. For yeah. It. You're doing. Yeah. That's that's pretty good. You could try ten thou and then upping the feed rate more, but I think where you're at is good. I've never used well, a three sixteenth to drill tie. I've I've used a lot of eighth inch in the past, and I would do about ten thou pecs. Gotcha. I, I yeah, that makes sense. I, I didn't think that none of the pecs needed to be that small, but I thought you could at least do the reduced pecking rate, and you know, you start with bigger pecs. Uh, you probably could, but I I decided to just make it all the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think you're you're well within the ballpark. Yeah, and and my cycle time, even including the lollipop end mill and all that custom G code and stuff, it went up like a minute with everything. Uh, so whatever, dude. Yeah, I'm not sweating it at all. I was just yeah. happy not to break end mills anymore. Right? Is it a bulldozer <laughs> or is it a square corner? Uh, technic. I think it's actually a square corner. Although, okay. if, if, if it's a bull, it's very corners, small. Yeah, if you start chipping corners, you could try like a ten or fifteenth hour radius just to. Yeah, get and, the and it, a little bit more. It doesn't need to be square because the uh, the jimping goes well beyond the chamfer that i have i do that too yeah so it could be 60 thou and no one would care so i feel like you could at least do like the first peck as like a hundred thou or something (laughs) i don't know it would explode yeah yeah i tried it you know it it didn't work okay Um, yeah and like i'm sure there is probably like a a super high efficient way to do it but like i said one thing with with tie it's very stringy yeah. Yes. It likes to yeah. string up. Like if 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 you ever turned tie, it's 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 a very stringy material. Yeah. That, no, that's I, what I noticed because my original idea was to to lower the feed rate so I would get really thin chips and maybe yeah. that they would just like come come out, you know. <laughs> but I noticed that it, it was literally the length of the chip is what grabbed the end mill and that's what ended up breaking everything. So yeah. having very short chips, which means short pecking depth, is is the way you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to avoid drilling with end mills if I can. Sometimes you have to, especially when you uh, don't have tool positions, which I've been out of tool positions on both my mills since I got them. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, the other kind of way to look at it, and again, like you, I'm sure your experience is way better than me on this, uh, but you know, whether it's turning on a lathe or, or it's drilling, you want to feed hard enough that the chips break. Right. You know? And uh, And so... You know, I mean, I, well, you already said you ta- you kind of adjusted the feed rate up and down where they were, long, you know, stringier or, yeah. or well, smaller, yes. I guess. Yeah, I, I had the exact same thought. Um, but so lathe tools have chip record geometry. Yeah, that's, ex- yeah, that's true. And they're supposed to curl. Right. Yeah. They're supposed to curl back over and whatever. And, and so I think it is just different with end mills because they're. At the end of the day, they're not meant to do this. There are tools yeah. called drills exactly. that were meant to, yeah. to, to do holes. <laughs> and uh, I have ex- I experimented a little bit with Harvey tools, like counter bore things, and I've wanted to try to buy flat bottom drills to to experiment with them. I mean, that wouldn't be able to do the jimping, 
Um, but if that tool is just doing the jimping, it might be interesting to switch it out with a four flute or two flute or something and see how much it changes. I mean, it sounds like it's not a huge deal. It's just, I wish yeah. I knew more about this or could test. No, it more. I, uh, well, so my idea, basically I'm, this happened a couple days ago. And so I was waiting for the tool to break. And if something kept going worse, I was going to change it until it, until it, things got better. Um, but with the 20 thou and the feed rate and everything, I haven't broken it since. And so it, I'm going to, you know, do, do a little bit of investigation the next time it breaks or if it breaks. Yep. Just see like how, real, where the issue is. I, I haven't really used real carbide actual drills very many times. Oh, they're like, great. With they're, those, like yeah. you're not supposed to peck at all, right? Correct. It well, yes. It depends. Well, okay. So uh, uh, this is not my own knowledge this is something that a very old man told me um which could be totally wrong but i listened to him so basically with drills the only cutting flutes are the end of the drill yep right uh the actual side flutes aren't cutting and so all you have to care about is the end and if you when you engage material that's about i there's probably rough numbers but it's it's in the neighborhood of like five times the amount of damage to the end of the drill each time it hits the material versus when it's actively in a cut. Because right. just like cutting a tomato, when you started the cut, it's a lot easier than than getting the knife into the skin, especially like with with a dull knife, for instance. Um, and so same thing with drills. Is starting the cut is the hardest part on the drill. There's a lot of other factors, like depending on how deep you are and if you can realistically do that or depending on your feed rate. But in an ideal world, every time you start the drill, you want it to go all the way to the bottom in one pass because that maximizes the times that the edges are smacking into material. Yeah. Um, and, and, but there's, there's many things like chip, you know, chip evacuation is a huge deal with that. And that's why through spindle drills exist and they're amazing. Um, and gun drilling is a whole different thing, but Dalen, if you have any other additions to this, I'm sure you actually know more than I do in this. I mean, that all sounds pretty good, honestly. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I'm thought. sure it depends on the material and how deep the hole is or yeah. something like that. Yep. Did you make a knife this week, John? Yep, I shipped it on Monday and I thought I was going to have another one on Tuesday and I haven't shipped another one. <laughs> nice. I mean, you got one well, out. it looked great. And the one you got looked good, yeah. Yeah. The handles are looking real nice. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> the one I was supposed to get out on, on Tuesday, like, I guess... Because they were sitting on the shelf for a while, I must have machined them when the tombstone. I mean, when the um, the fourth axis like that moved, it moved on me like a couple weeks ago. Because um, I went to go put the diamond pattern into it, and it wouldn't cut one area deep as deep as the other, and it gets machined on its side, like it gets surfaced. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that part of the handle was deeper, and then that's why the diamond patterns cut in with the handle facing the spindle okay so if you machined it and the fourth axis was off in like parallel to x then there would be a low spot somewhere on it and i'm guessing that's what was happening so i ended up like cutting too deep essentially and then it just kind of kind of ruined it so i was like oh i gotta make new ones and then i don't know i feel like i'm just like the blades now are what i'm what i need because the handles are done so essentially all the parts are done except okay the blades and then blades just continue to be at the end of the day, always the hardest thing. Yep. But 
I overground six blades yesterday by five though. So that was really oh. cool. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, hmm, this, I was like, this wheel never cuts as deep as I think it will. But then mm-hmm. I was using the like the mode on the Tormach that just continuously drives yeah. the I don't know we is it the Y mode? It's actually Z. I learned this recently because technically uh these grinders they're horizontal machines. Gotcha. So Yeah, Z is always into the spindle or whatever. Yep. Yeah, so th- this mode continuously drives Z as it goes back and forth. So for some reason that was actually cutting normally or a lot of material it probably has something to do with the fact that z isn't locked and like taking a normal pass so there's probably deflection and that deflection is probably cutting more okay (laughs) that's probably what was happening and i was like no there's so much material left because i overcut these already or like they came out of the oven like 135 and they're supposed to be 125 and i was like that's so much material i Uh, i can make them perfect oh yeah so i don't know i'm gonna see like if i can cut some the bearing pockets on the handles not as deep basically that should be fine yeah two and a half thou less like stock to leave actually on yeah. two handles oh, yeah i guess when you put it that way yeah but it's just like it's a thing you have to think about and do and then track and then mm-hmm. i'm just like no i just want it to work but yeah and then, yeah, my last thing that I'm dealing with is <laughs> tumbling media. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're back yeah. on it. <laughs> what? What, Dylan? Oh, I said, oh, no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I want to try new media again. Okay. Because I can't remember what's the big one I have, but it's from that, the one you were talking about, Grant. Or yeah. From, they're really like line? the, um, what is this abrasive something? It's like, Finishing. I, th- I thought it was like precision finishing. Oh, maybe precision yeah. Abrasions. I I can look it up again after. Yeah. Um, and I have like the I don't know what they're called, but I think they're too big, honestly, for mm-hmm. this style of tumbler. I don't oh, think yeah. I don't think an actual yeah. this. What do you call the style of tumbler? It's a, a bed tumbler, I believe. Yeah, there's like a certain t- term for it. It doesn't have enough energy really to drive them mm, uh, okay. when they kind of start to round over. I'm not really sure why, but that doesn't flow like you would expect. Basically, they kind of float as opposed to waterfall like it's supposed to. Because oh, the, right. the entire point of like at least the Mr. D is it's supposed to waterfall the media yep. from the yeah. vibration. And then that's supposed to continuously cycle parts. Well, they kind of like parts will cycle, but they'll not. It doesn't. It just basically doesn't water flow. So I'm like, this is probably okay. uh, not helping. So the tumbler's running right now, and I have a, like four blades in there, and it's just gonna run all night because it takes forever to tumble anything. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah. What year is your Haas Grant? Uh, 2019. I think it's the same as yours. That gasket you were talking about, it's the Y-axis. It's the... So do you know where the the coolant sprayer at the very base of the Y-axis, or base of the column is? Yeah. Yep. It's it's right behind that. It's that little plate that uh, screws to the casting. Oh, okay. And it was getting clogged up. 
so so on the right side, basically, this was on the right side of the y-axis uh, uh, way cover. There was it was just building up chips because my chips are, I think all of our chips are probably small and stringy and they're they clump. Yep. Um, and so it was just building up. We we were neglecting it for a while, and I guess it built up enough that the coolant instead of diverting you know, down the way cover and then down the the bottom of the sheet metal, it was diverting left back into the casting. And that just because the coolant was now directing there, it had free reign to just bypass that gasket because the gasket was old enough that it wasn't there anymore. Um, gotcha. So yeah. I don't think there's, it's the exact same. I don't think it's the exact same. <laughs> what is going on today? <laughs> Something in the water. You you go. I am I am really tired, so okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say Saunders has like three D printed things he put on his uh machine like in that area. Not not oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that helps or not. What I was gonna say is the drain in your casting is is probably clogged. So there's a drain behind your 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 y-axis, the the way cover that moves actually goes into and floats above the casting right in front of the electrical cabinet. Correct. So if you, yeah. So if you if you actually unhook the y-axis way cover from the back of the table and slide it backwards, so you mm-hmm. can see the ball screw. Yeah. You can actually see, uh, and the easiest way to check this is actually to undo the Z way cover. Because it's two bolts. Yeah. So you right, you undo these two, and then you just slide it down. If you look back there, you can see the way cover actually goes and floats over the casting. So coolant will um, go back there. Yeah. There's a drain right under the y-axis that really usually gets clogged because the y-axis way cover will actually just it'll send chips back there, and then it'll, they'll just coolant will cause them to drop down there. If yes. that drain's clogged, it it will flow over the sides. So what is the drain in the casting or on the way cover? It's in the casting. It's in the center of the casting. It's under the y-axis if you send the table all the way back. Right. If if you want to, what you can do is you can... Um, Does this drain divert back into the coolant tank? Is that what you're saying? Yes, there is. Okay. If, if you look at your coolant tank, there's a little pipe. Yeah. Yeah, that's I was wondering that, what that was. <laughs> yep, that's where that drain uh, okay. feeds to. Gotcha. If so, you, yes, definitely that drain is clogged then because it was coming out the back. Uh, yeah, I think what you can do, because when you have the the Z-axis way cover all the way down, you can see into the bottom of the electrical cabinet. You can see the ground like, like at an angle. I think yeah. if you, when machine's off, take your hand and go... Um, under the electrical cabinet and then back, you should be able to feel like a pile of chips like on the casting and you'll be able to feel the grate and you can just literally just like push them out of the way. Okay. I'll, I'll look at it. So what I did is right below the, the electrical cabinet, there's a sheet metal, just a, a, a sheet metal, I don't know, square. Basically I took that off and I could see right into it without having to mess with the weight covers. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That, that and- drain should be right in front of you then. Yeah, okay, I'll reach into it tomorrow. I probably didn't have an eye on it because I'm looking at it from the side. Yeah, um, it's but it's that's good to know. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. That's very helpful. Dea, was that was that the end of your, your woes, John? 
Yeah, I mean, I at least produced something this week, so that's cool, I guess. That so, is good. so what's stopping you from making the second knife? Like, it's currently blades, and it, like, I don't know, just blades, the, I guess. They're hard. Or... They're pain. What? What's that? Is it, is it bevel finishing in particular? No, it's not. It's not. I guess it's not bevel finishing. I guess it's tumbling and then just going through enough blades to have the motions down for making okay. that. Because this is this is the second batch I've done of six, mm-hmm. which is much better because I was doing like onesie twosie type stuff, which is mm-hmm. not healthy at all because it takes. Yeah, it sounds to like kind of the phase I'm in. Yeah, and it's it's I don't know. It's like production hell, kind of. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of just, it's just blades. It's just going through the motions, I guess. Um, Okay. And then, yeah. I was looking at, they make this thing called a drag tumbler, or a drag finisher. Have you guys ever seen one of these? No. No. It was like a drag engraver. (laughs) You remember that story I posted, and you were like, what are you doing? Yes. Yes, well... (laughs) So I was looking, I was doing media research and now mind you, the machines and stuff were running. So I wasn't just wasting time because I'm sure that's always what it seems like. I do a lot of that, but not this time. So, so I'm like looking up media and I'm looking at that abrasive company and I'm like, Oh, what do they actually do? They actually sell equipment and stuff. And they had this thing on different, uh, tumblers. So there's like, the regular tumbler, then there's there's bowl tumblers, and then there's actually high energy tumblers are called, and they look like bowl tumblers, but they are more bigger and they swirl. They have more um, energy, I guess, for the parts. Mm-hmm. Actually, they spin a lot faster. And then they have uh, a thing called a drag finisher, and the way the drag finisher works is if you just Ooh. put the media in a bowl, and then you put your part on an arm, and then you swing the arm with your part oh. through the media really fast. Yeah, I have seen these. Yeah, Wait. so I was like, oh, these are pretty cool. And so I was like, what if... <laughs> what, if what if I put the parts on something that spun pretty fast and stuck them in my tumbler to see? And I was like, this is a terrible idea because I was trying to make it really... Uh, what's the word make it really just work within uh-huh. that day instead of spending a ton of time on it. And yep. I was like, you can't really bolt the motor to the tumbler cause the motor doesn't want to shake like this and it's going to mess the whole thing up. So then I was like, what if I just make my own drag finisher? <laughs> so <laughs> that's obviously not what I'm doing, uh, during the week, but I am slowly working through a drag finisher like for a five gallon bucket it's oh not gonna work, but it might work but okay yeah i'm making sure not to spend time on it when i don't have time to spend on it right so people don't yell at me but i was because <laughs> i'm going to like i'm taking the classes and stuff for the electronics thing and i'm like i don't have an electronics project that oh, there you go i can bring in and be like hey help me with this thing so i was like oh this is kind of like a cool combination of like uh, gearing and then like motor control stuff. Yeah. So I thought it'd be cool. And on the drag finishers, usually it's a center. You have a center drive motor that drives like a platter and the platter has individual motors for the stations. You could call them. So you, the part it spins, you know, it spins in a circle, obviously through the media, 
but you don't want to, you want to present the part, uh, you want the part, you want, you want the part to not be in the media in the same angle all the time. Cause right. obviously the front, if you have like a, a front edge of your part, that'll be, that'll have the most impact to media right. and then it'll tumble yeah. differently. So you want to kind of just like oscillate or slowly rotate, uh, the little station as it rotates quickly, um, through the media. And I was like, I don't want to make this complicated with having like a motor and then a, like an individual motor for every station. Cause one that's expensive. Uh, and th that's obviously like a lot more work. So it's like, if you did a, a planetary gear set yeah. and you actually use the planets to drive stations. So you had rods sticking out of the planets oh, and smart. then you drove the sun gear. You could do this. I don't, from what I can tell from doing research on like planetary gears, you don't usually drive anything with the sun gears, but that's the plan with this. So all you need is a single motor and then you can just figure out ratios okay. um, based on. I think all you need is a KitchenAid and some tape. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> or Okay. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I'm in. Sign me yeah, up. I was like, I was like, if this works, how awesome how do would it you... be? How do you hold the blades without 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 causing a section of the blade to not be tumbled where you're holding it? So you mean like. So, yeah, the blades a weird shape. You would want to have some sort of clamp that holds it vertically. So maybe you have a specific thing left on the part that yeah. is for holding it. Or what I was thinking was you could just use an aluminum block. And then you could tumble, well, you could drag one side, and then when it was done, you could flip it to the other side. Obviously, that's like a pain because you're yeah. now interacting with it. But supposedly, now this isn't going to be the same, but a drag finisher is supposed to be like 9x over a, a normal tumbler as far as Jeez. speed goes. Um, and it makes sense. The, the, what they're referenced for or what they're used for and from what I can tell from the research is there four hard materials because it's, there's significantly more impact energy yep. doing it this way. So they basically specify like if you're trying to tumble in canal or hardened steels or stuff of that nature, uh, like turbine blades is one of the reference things kind of thing. Okay. This is the best way. I don't know what the best way is, but this is, that's just examples they give. Um, that makes I mean, total sense. You're you're putting in active force as opposed to a, a kind of a passive, yeah. Tumble. Yeah, you're not you're not really kind of hoping that gravity plus vibration is yeah. enough. You're, right. I mean, you're obviously, you know, you're punching your parts through the media. So, yep. I, I don't know. I I like. I don't think it's gonna pan now as far as having enough energy because of how the. Sh how little diameter a five gallon bucket has. I mean, they're 12 inch right. round, but the parts are small and it'd be interesting to see if it has any merit at all. Um, cause they're expensive. They're really expensive. I was going to ask like, how much does a real one cost? Uh, from what I could tell, like a new one, usually they're enclosed too. They're like 16 K okay. for a small one. Like okay. if it really does what it's supposed to and it does it fast, that's, worth it i guess oh, but totally yeah but the other issue with them is you have to make fixtures to hold Yo. the parts yeah so, but that's actually 
a good thing if they're as fast as they say they are because we're doing production. So yep. that's kind of just the nature of it. But if you were a job shop, you'd never want to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Did you mention centrifugal tumblers? That was that the high energy one, the weird spirally one. That might have been it, what I was. It's not like the Ferris wheel one. It's just like a bowl tumbler, but it likes kind of. I don't know how it works, but it spins it more, and so yep. it's like. Yeah, that, better, that's it's better than just a regular bowl. Yeah, there's yeah. a. It's either a Swedish company or a Swiss company that makes tumblers that are more specific, like geared towards jewelry stuff, and yeah. um, they Avalod? have. Yeah, I think it's them. They have those tumblers and they have uh, fins in the center of the bowl that spin really fast. And so it like it's kind of like a blender almost. Blending and the, rocks. <laughs> and those well, yeah, those fins are 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 pushing the media around in the tumbler. Um, they're really cool. They're really expensive, but they work really good for small things. They wouldn't work for our stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw something. I, I saw something that like if you could I know there's something out there that is that already does this that you could retrofit to do this pretty easy but on, when i was looking at that that um drag finisher this company they make another style drag finisher it's literally just a robot arm and <laughs> the the bowl spins really fast okay. and the the robot just picks the part up and sticks it in the bowl as it spins <laughs> and that's literally all it is and i was like i was like what is there out there that spins really fast that won't you know like is strong enough to actually hold a bowl of media and you could just right. make a welded frame that holds the part in there. <laughs> like, yeah. Look. Oh yeah. You don't need a robot. Yeah. Washing machine on a spin cycle. I mean, yeah, they just spin pretty fast, don't they? Yeah. Although they, they get out of balance. If you put rocks in there, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mm. I think more, j- j- just the motor itself, but it probably wouldn't be. Oh enough. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it, I don't think it would be too. You could use the washing machine's motor and then make yeah. your own little pulley thing and spin a, spin a barrel really fast. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's plenty of options, but okay. Anyways, it they're not. Cool. They're obviously not my main priority, but I thought it'd be cool, yeah. a nice challenge, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Well, and it ties into your classes somewhat, so there's always a win there. Yeah, and I I don't know anything about gears, so it's been an interesting learning experience trying to learn about gears and ratios and they have teeth. I know that much. Yeah. Roots. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know. I, yep. I, oh. I once do equations, but I no longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we have the internet for. And people yeah. make right? fusion add-ons to build gears anyways. I'm like, oh, I'm not the, really. Yeah. It, yeah. The fusion gear add ons the best thing ever. It drives me crazy. You can't just like do equation based curves in fusion. Cause I wanted to do a project with gears and you can't make an involute curve. Yeah, you have to use like the plugin thing. Yeah. It's, it's something fusion's really lacking that I missed from SolidWorks is uh equation driven dimensions. What What's really weird is like inventor has that and that's like really good in inventor. And you would think that they would just like share each other's note, like homework, you know? Yeah. Right. But they're probably trying to keep, Fusion to be like slightly more amateurish, amateurish or something. Wait, you can't do, you can do parameter based equation stuff. Uh, well, you can't do like fancy math where it makes a whole curve. You can have it spit out like a single number, but you can't like have it draw like a, a parabola for you. Uh, yeah, like, like like a curved based on an equation, you know, x intercept, whatever, all that yeah. geometry stuff. 
Yeah. Because there's a formula for the curve gears have. And, uh, you know, the the plugins or whatever that Fusion comes with, they, they do that, I guess. Uh, but it's like kind of outside of fusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you wanted to, like, if you look at the source code for that gear generator, it, it basically shows you how to create a sketch, the actual code, then you could probably do it that way. But again, that's not really in fusion. That's kind of, you right. know, that's it, going above and I, uh, I kind of tried, this was years ago. I kind of tried to write my own gear generator in Python and uh I can't I can't remember how it goes or why I was trying to do it instead of it's because I wanted like partial gears instead of an entire gear. Okay. Um, Cause I was trying to do stuff where like I didn't I didn't really need like a whole circle. I just needed to rotate like 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh something like that. Yeah. So uh, uh oh well, I was going to bring up your engraving bit. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I wanted to know more about that. Yeah, well, so I keep buying the the Harvey engraving dedicated uh, double-ended, whatever they are. Um, and they're clearly not made for hard milling. They're just no. engraving, generic engraving bits. And I couldn't, you know, I was trying to avoid doing a ball and I had, there was no reason to avoid doing a ball, but it was just something that I, for some reason, was sticking with. Um, so I was like, okay, looking for dedicated engraving bits. And, and Harvey was the best ones that I could find. They lasted the longest. But it was like, I would get mm, maybe like 12 good blades, and then the engraving would be shallow. And then, which, because, you know, the tip of it chipped off. So yep, you can re- reset the tool height, and then now the engraving is chattery. It's it, like usable, but it's not ideal. Um, and they're pretty expensive. They're like 30 or $40. So every, you know, once a week replacing the engraving bit was kind of getting ridiculous. And, and I know that, uh, Dalen, you're using a ball in mill, right? For yeah. I've engraving. used a ball for all of my engravings since day one. Um, I've never been impressed with the, with an actual engraving in mill before. Yeah. So I, I kind of took that and I found that the Harvey dedicated, well, I, I basically I just took the hard milling two flute finisher and got a uh, 32nd, I think, ball. And okay. um, just doing the engraving with it, with coolant. And I, I finally used the actual real feeds and speeds because the engraving feeds and speeds are not accurate yeah. for, for hard milling, at least. Um, but I used the, the ball mill feeds and speeds, and I'm doing like 2,000 depth, and they're just turning out immaculate. So Yep. Nice. Yeah, yeah it, looked, it looked really good. So... So it's a, um, but it's like a two flute finishing end mill. Yeah. So it's, it's the hard milling, you know, model, I guess of the Har- the Harvey line and it's their two flute finisher. Cause they have the like four, four to six flute or eight flute or whatever ball mills for hard milling. Um, but I figured I'm doing two thou cuts. It's basically finishing. Plus I want it to look mirrored on the bottom. Um, so I went with the two flute finisher and it seems to be working. You thought that would give a better surface finish than more flutes? Yes. Because uh, chip clearing. Uh, when shoving the, the tip of a ball end mill to this degree, in my head, I'm creating small chips anyway. And the better the chip clearing, the better the finish 
that yep. I can also for floor finishes. Yep. With ball and mills, uh, every ball and mill I've ever seen, the on- only two flutes go to center anyway where the web is. Yeah, I think right. we talked about this last week. That's yep. kind of what I was thinking. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it did. It looked super good. Like, I'm not doing engraving when it's hard on my blades. Uh, it's soft. Uh, but I, I am using, I'm using Lakeshore Carbide's engraving thing, and I, I feel like they chip at the tip super fast. So I kind of, I think I might chip. do that. What's that, We John? talked about this before because you're like, it chips immediately. And I'm like, yeah, mine's lasted seven months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, we have talked about that. We yeah. have, and, and I don't know why it took me so long. It was just some weird pride thing that I was like, nah, surely the engraving one is better. But uh, yeah, I'm completely, completely convinced. It, they yeah. look so good. Um, yeah, nice. Because my experience with engraving on mills is the tip either breaks off immediately or it lasts forever, but it always kicks a burrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was just, whenever they were dying, it, there was a gnarly burr that would start happening. I've never used them in hardened steel, um, but like even in aluminum or like titanium, I tried them a little bit and they always kick a burr up or they break. So, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, that's actually where I was having problems with them originally was I was trying to do a bunch of crazy patterns on aluminum handles. Yep. And uh, like, it's just, I'm doing like a mile of engraving. And so maybe there's, and I'm, and I'm you know, potentially jumping up and down a ton. And so maybe it's just not great great conditions uh when i was engraving steel it actually might be slightly better than when i was doing aluminum okay Uh, but i still would maybe think it'd be safer to switch to a ball like i did for the aluminum engraving i i mean the engraving and it just looks so good yeah it looks so good and realistically the engraving end mills are just weird ball end mills they are Um, so i at least the ones that i i would get the the radius tip ball i know there's like actual v engraving bits but those are never going to work in hardened steel um so i just figured yeah go go with the actual ball mill made for hardened steel instead of a engraving mill that i'm trying to force into hardened steel (laughs) but uh yeah dalen how's your week going it's been good it's been weird but good um my schedule sort of accidentally swapped from 10 a.m. to like 6 p.m. From that, it swapped to 11 p.m. to like 6 to 7 a.m. Oh my gosh. Um, and I love it. It's the best thing ever. Uh, you know, Jacob, my machinist, he comes in at 6 o'clock like, like Zeke does for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's completely self-sufficient, which is fantastic, which is why I'm able to swap my schedule. Yeah, but, so you're, um, you're basically running your shop 24 hours a day now like actual yes. people on it that's awesome yeah yep although i am the dedicated assembly tech right now which means i don't really run the machines when i'm there like at all oh. actually i haven't actually ran like none of the spindles have been running while i'm there funny enough gotcha i'm hoping to get to that point but um right now i'm just getting back in the groove of making sure that i get the required amount of knives assembled and boxed per day which i've been hitting mm-hmm. so far which is amazing nice because, like, so far, the last, like, month and a half to two months, um, assembly and, like, drop fulfillment has been, like, the day before because of reasons. Yeah. Like, it would just be this massive push every week to get 30 to 60 knives assembled in, like, a day and a half and boxed oh. and sent. And, oh, it was a pain. Yeah. Um, so now I'm doing, now I'm doing 
like 10 knives a day, getting them sharpened, getting them boxed, fully checked. Like they're, I have like 20 knives already after two days, already in boxes, ready to ship the second that there's a drop, which is so cool. That's, that's the way to do it, man. It is. It's so nice. Um, Yeah. And now that I'm getting that schedule, I'm going to start having time again to run a little bit of stuff here and there on the, on the mills. There's not a lot for me to run because like I can't I can't start another production run on the mighty for like for like an opus or a serif because it won't finish by the time that Jacob gets in. Right. So there's really no point. What about um, the slips? The slips, I, I, I am going to start running those on the Miltronics. Um, so we, we can get more spindle, spindle time out of the Miltronics. So more Prismas, more Slifties, um, any other various things that Miltronics does. Because the Miltronics is kind of, it makes the shop the least amount of money, funny enough, but it's also the workhorse of the shop. Right. Um, it does all of the stock prep for like tie handles and, and what have you, uh, blade material. It, it, it preps blade material and then it runs Prismas and Slifties. Nice. Um, so yeah, I can keep that running, which is nice. The only downside to a night shift is uh, you can't really run a business on a night shift. Yeah. At least not, not long term. So this is this is something that sadly probably won't be fully sustainable. You know, I can't yeah. I can't call my tooling provider if I need to get tools. I, I can't, you know, schedule interviews if I want to hire someone. I can't train someone mm-hmm. or just um, like sending an email and getting a response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one benefit is because I leave at about seven in the morning, I can actually do a, like all the ordering I need to do in the mornings. Then mm. seven o'clock is when the regular world is awake and functioning. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see how long it lasts. My body loves it though. Like I haven't, I've I've felt much better doing the schedule. Like so much better. Are, I wake are up you, to my uh, alarms again. <laughs> nice. I'm, I set I'm thirteen okay. alarms. I have thirteen alarms that I've that's, tried to wake up to for the last two and a half years. Oh my god! And I've slept through all thirteen every day, basically for two and a half years. That's Having. Impressive. Having room with you at Blade Show, I can confirm. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yep. And I mean, I would swap the alarm tones like every few days, every couple of weeks. I would, you know, just try to make sure that they're different alarm tones. Didn't wouldn't change yeah. anything. Every so often, if I'm extremely stressed, sometimes I'll wake up to my first alarm. <laughs> but that's just because I'm not sleeping well already. Nice. But yeah, now I'm waking up to my alarms and everything's good. So other than that, production has been sweet. Everything seems to be dialed in on Opuses now. Uh, OSG hard milling end mills. Anyone out there who hard mills, um, you need OSG in your life. Yes, yeah, so, I will so, chill them till the day I die. We we talked about this a little bit. Uh, go go into the the book notes, cliff notes. Yeah. So, um, I swapped from Harvey ball end mills for hard milling on my bevels to OSG end mills. Uh, they have a really good hard milling line. I don't know what coating they have. It's something fancy. Uh, it works great. That's all I know. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they they work phenomenally. It's looking like I'm going to be getting twice the tool life. Technically more, because I never really got a full palette of perfect blades with the Harvey Ball end mills. Right. Um, so with, uh, with the OSG ones, it looks like I can get two full palettes of perfect blades. So it's probably more like three times the tool life. Damn. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Is there like a tool code or brand name for this uh, end mill? I have to find it real quick, but there is. Because um, I, I I used to use OSG end mills more, and I feel like it could be kind of confusing. Their, yeah, right, because uh, Exocarb, is that what it is? I'm finding out right now. I have their catalog open. It's yeah. just loading because it's a really big PDF. That might be but, one um, of them. 
Yeah, like I've known about OSG for a long, long time, um, but I never really thought of OSG as like a high-end tooling company. I guess for some reason. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure where to place them, but they're definitely okay. they're not like generic MSC. No, they're not. They're I mean they're you know, they're, they're Japanese they're pretty made. Good. They're they're fantastic. So I don't know the actual what the line is called, but the coding is a Durori coding. <laughs> I've never heard okay. of that before. Hmm. Um, I mean, supposedly this this line of end mills is actually uh, getting people who were using CBN to swap off of CBN to these end mills because wow, the wow. price to performance is just so much better. It's a brand. Is it just called a brand? <laughs> like, yeah, the list number is a brand, A-E-B-M-H, which is A-E ball mill hard, I guess. Um, how many flutes are you? Uh... There are four flutes. Only two. Only two of the flutes go go to center on the web for the ball and mill, which is pretty par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, the primary applications for this tool are like die and mold shops and hardened steel applications where you need long tool life, which is exactly what this is for. That's and so what yeah. I need. Uh, you're using it as a eighth inch. Yep, I'm using an eighth-inch ball end mill. I have I have three of the same tool in there. One is the rougher, which roughs the bevels. One is a semi-finisher, and one's a finisher. And it's looking like I'm going to get two full pallet runs, which is six bevels per pallet, so 12, 12 bevels total per end mill. Do they then, have like a Do they have like quarter inch or three eighths? Let's see. Oh, um, this has become the like branded segment. Are you, are you <laughs> seriously the one? Or are you using air? I can't remember. So I was. So it it doesn't say explicitly that you cannot use coolant. Um, the roughing and the semi-finishing, I'm using an air oil mist. I actually bought oh, proper yeah. I bought proper hard milling MQL lubricant. Um I'm sure and so I use that for the roughing too. and the semi-finish. However, for the finish, I, I, I have to run coolant, otherwise I get really, really small chip dragging still. Mm-hmm. With coolant, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Mm. Uh, Interesting. I, after working with the with the tooling engineer um, and talking to him back and forth, trying to figure out this chip dragging, everything that we have to do on our bevels, at least like me and probably Grant and people who do like more textured blade bevels while hard milling, we have to go against like decades of machining knowledge. I have to keep lowering my feed rates to avoid chip dragging. Yeah. Which is completely counterintuitive. Yeah. What what is what is your feed rate? Uh, it's currently at eighteen inches a minute, which is still a one point eight times up from the previous Harvey end mills. Wow. But like these tools want one thou and two tenth chip load for a finishing pass, which ends up at like they also want all the surface footage. They want like four hundred surface footage for finishing, Whoa. roughing for like all of it. So it's twelve thousand RPM. It's the close I can get, and then wow. that feed rate would equate out to fifty eight inches a minute. That's crazy. Um, which I, I I was getting really clean finishes at 58. Like I wasn't getting any waving anymore, which is something else that's interesting to me. That's very interesting. But um, I was getting chip dragging, so a little bit of grayness. So I just kept lowering it and lowering it until I got happy with it. But I, that's yeah. great. Like even if it was just like a 10% better increase, that'd be great. Like yep. in, a, in any dimension, like. Right. I've heard so many bad stories of of tool reps, or I don't know. I've heard several bad stories, and so it's great that like this is well, working out for you. 
Here's what sold me on OSG before I even tried them. I had a Harvey, I had a Harvey rep come out, like a Harvey tooling engineer sales rep kind of guy. And the whole point of that visit was for him to tell me what I was doing wrong or that I am doing something wrong in general, because clearly I'm doing something wrong. I'm not getting the results I should be getting. Right. And the only, all they had to say to me is, wow, we're really impressed. You're doing everything right. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I was like, wow, cool. You wasted my time. Thank you. Yeah. When the OSG guy came out, he's like, yeah, no, you're doing it all wrong. I'm like, give me a hug. I'll buy your tools right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I whenever I called Harvey for a couple like tool path and feed rate like questions, I yep. literally got on the phone with um, I it seemed like she was her first day because she she uh-huh. immediately was like, hey, it says in the book here. I'm like, yeah, I get I have the book, too. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm calling to talk to an expert. Like, yep. I don't care what the Internet says. Uh huh. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, uh, the the. Customer service is its own dimension outside yeah. of, of the tools because you know Harvey is certainly not bad tools either. They're not, they're not the uh, the MSC generic stuff either. But yeah, if 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 the tooling people can't help you out, yep. uh, it's kind of doesn't make the tool work as good as it could. And yeah, so my my OSG rep is fantastic. He's been a machinist for 20 years. He knows what he's talking about. He's super responsive and he's just amazing. So yeah, and the tools are incredible. Like I I will not stray from them for a long time if like they just seem fantastic. So I'm quite That's happy awesome. with that. I don't know if I ever told you guys, I also figured out what was causing that that initial waving issue on my blades. Nope, I don't think I ever heard anyways. So it's it's something real stupid. Oh yeah. Um so I thought it was deflection or, or, or something of that sort, right? Maybe chatter, deflection, something. Mm-hmm. What it ended up being was uh, I was using, um, I was using look ahead, still am using look ahead, which cranks up the acceleration and deceleration of the servos to like, you know, max basically. Mm-hmm. And it was a rapid linking move in between each pass. And the machine was moving so fast and stopping so abruptly that it was shaking the castings. And because it was moving so fast and shaking the castings, while it was in the cut, the casting was still shaking. Mm. Huh. Well, How did you figure this out? Shaking. I had my back up against the machine while it was running at one point, and and it, it finally kicked on. Like, huh, I'm getting a massage right now. Maybe I should change that. <laughs> um, so I in changed the them. Yeah, in yeah, in the really short rapid moves in between each cut on the bevel. Wow. And so what I did, I was like, okay, I'll try it. I didn't think it was going to do anything because I, I really didn't imagine that that could be what it is. So I changed all of those linking moves from rapids to uh, feed rates, and I changed them to like 100 inches a minute. And now it's really smooth going through there, and all of the waving got removed. Thank goodness. That's, so that's 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 great. pretty silly. Um, that machine really needs to be tuned for the parameters for all of the uh, look-ahead stuff because it was not tuned by factory. Mm. Yeah, um, that, that stuff's crazy. The The tumbler today i was like i was like i bet the tumbler changes the finish when hard milling and it does yep and yeah, the tumbler is like 40 50 feet away like you can't feel it in the floor standing by the machine right really but i was running it and i was like all right i'm gonna shut the tumbler off halfway through the toolpath you can literally see the next line when the tumbler's yep. off is different and i'm like Son of a bitch. That's <laughs> right. crazy. That, yeah. That shows like how 
crazy level you guys are trying to get. With that, that shows when they talk about like your concrete pad for your your new uh-huh. machine. They recommend like it should be two feet, and you should yep. have it. You know, and it should have its own pad. It should be isolated, ideally. And people are like, "Yeah, well, you know, it's a it's a one million dollar mill. I think it can handle eight inches of concrete just fine." <laughs> yeah, like it's one thing. Like you know, if you're a shop that can afford to buy a million dollar machine, pour a pour a concrete pad for it. You like, yeah. just don't even. Like I don't get it. Like people, like people like us, where we can't really afford to, we don't own our buildings, or we don't have the money to, you know, cut a giant hole in our shop and put a separate concrete pad for that machine. Yeah. Or for the tumbler. <laughs> to yeah. Isolate right. The tumbler. Yep. Yeah. I'm just. Yep. Bit, yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder own. what you could do to, to make the tumbler isolated. Yeah. Make your feet. own drag finisher. That's how you're gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah. You should just uh, put a rope with uh, your blades tied to the end of it, and then drive around in some gravel. And I think, <laughs> yeah, stick them out the back of my car as I hold yeah. go. Hold them yep. out the window, right? I have to a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David, but, um, how's your? Oh, never. Oh, I was just I was wrapping up. Yeah. Um, blades are pretty much dialed now, which is looking really good, and Opus handles are finally where they should be. So production is looking really good, and I'm happy. Hell yeah. Nice. Yep. David, how's your week? Uh, pretty good. I don't think I have anything exciting to say, though. Just okay. been running through more blades, and I'm pretty happy that you know I I went through this process of like updating all my programs and kind of updating my laser cut blanks and adjusting the fixtures and. All that stuff is I think I've really gone through everything and everything is is pretty good. Um, I'm just trying to tumble. I heat treated some blades myself. I sent some out to, for heat treating and then I've heat treated some myself yesterday. Okay. And I'm just trying to tumble out some of the discoloration on them. And then uh, and then I'll try sharpening them and seeing if uh, the way I change the edge. uh helps anything because <clears throat> you know i uh I've, I've never had trouble cutting uh paper um uh it's just cutting something thin like thin fabric yeah uh it's so hard to get it to just like cut and not want to and and i've gotten better at, and you know adjusting the curve of the blades and stuff has gotten better but it's still never been like yeah. perfectly along the whole edge right and i think part of that has to possibly do with i'm not sure that I didn't give myself enough material. I've probably explained this like 10 times on the podcast, but tumbling like rounds over the edge. And so trying to sharpen it away, you know, if you sharpen too much, then the blades like won't, you know, touch at the, or like overlap nicely. You have like a a gap, which would look horrible. And so I have to be like, so careful. And it's can be hard to tell if you've like completely got rid of any rounding, excuse me. And so, I'm just trying to see if if uh, if if not having to worry about that uh, fixes all my problems, or if or if it's still like uh, just needing to be better at learning how to tune scissors and the the okay. curve. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been doing uh, along, you know, just making lots more blades and yep. shipping some out and doing some work on them myself. Nice, but you're you're still think, pretty happy uh, with the overall assembly and 
the end product so far? Yeah, I'm feeling more confident. I still feel like I've assembled a few scissors and I'm still not sure if I have more than one I'm willing to sell. Okay. Uh, but I feel like uh, I feel like I've gotten in things so much dialed in and like I know where the tolerances need to be with so much more confidence that yeah. I just need to push through fresh blades and uh, probably another run of handles to be anodized and uh, you know maybe I won't have to change anything about the process for a while okay that'd be nice would be great but you know how it goes yeah my my frustrations are kind of with tumbling now too but i don't know maybe my 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 gallon my five gallon bucket drag finisher will save us (laughs) prove it out and we'll all buy a a product from you now (laughs) i'd love nothing more than to see that happen and I like I, I said I was <laughs> reconsidering if I should get a blasting cabinet, and uh, after doing heat treating myself or having heat treating done by other people, that I still don't like when I get any discoloration, and I feel like it takes forever to get it out tumbling. So it does. Like I kind of think maybe I should get a, a blaster. Yeah, I mean, so like I'm really anti uh, blast because it's just very labor intensive, but I still would never get rid of mine. Oh yeah. Just having it when you really need it is, is just such a lifesaver. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I, I hate it cause it's dirty. It's messy and everybody doesn't enjoy doing it, but yep. I'm never going to get rid of it. Yep. Like I might, I may buy another one, like just a better one. So do you guys feel like you get weird colors or anything when you do heat treating? Yep. I don't, yeah. Every once in a while. It's not common that I get like any blues or golds, but um, I will get gray and then like a lighter gray streak going through. And those are the ones that just they won't tumble out on a textured surface because the media can't get into the texture. Oh, well, yeah, I luckily don't have to deal with the textured thing. But OK, like, like on flats, you- when I tumble, it'll take off any discoloration because I tumble for a long time. So I I, I, I heat treated yesterday and uh you know, I put them in the laser sealed foil bags. I folded over the end like three times. Yep. I put a real talc on the blades because uh, I don't know if you guys do that. I thought you're supposed to do that. So yeah, I, I do. Stick. Yep, I, no, I don't. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I should. <laughs> well, if they're not sticking in the bags, then don't do it. I guess. Right. Uh, sometimes um, I do, but that's whatever. But anyway, and uh, I get like like a weird random chunk of the blade, like a a quarter of the surface area is uh, that on this time around, they're, they're pretty dark. Like, I don't want to say it's scale, but it, it, it's, it's more than just a blue or yellow color. Okay. Mine come out like white. Yeah. Mine come out white. Too. Like, they look nice. Actually. Most yeah. of, most of it's pretty, you know, kind of a light gray, whitish color, but, but then just like kind of a weird wavy section of, you know, of uh, kind of the bottom of the blade area where I have like stuff, the 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 part kind of closer to where the fold I think is, and so you know I try to like I fold it over and I like have a uh, uh, this piece of metal like a smooth piece of metal I like rub the crease and then I will uh you know after flipping it over folding it over three times and doing that I'll like 
tap it with the tap along the edge with an arbor press. Okay. And so I feel like I feel like I'm, you know, compressing yeah, it, it as much as it could be, and yep. I don't feel like I'm tearing it. So uh, do your bags poof up at all? When nope. they're in the oven, they've only they, ever poofed up when I down. tried the thing where you put a piece of paper inside. I tried that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time I had that poof up. Interesting. Uh, how, okay. How does the vacuum look on the bags when you take them out? Are they like super sucked down? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, like, okay, that didn't sound super confident. Like, well, <laughs> it's like a, uh, it's it's more you can see like the the shape of the blade through the bag much more than but when i put them in yep okay so i assume that's what you meant yep well uh so so there's a you know this this goes both ways but i noticed that if i was not leaving them in i mean long enough is a very relative term they still get heat treated but i noticed that the longer i left them in the more the vacuum develops and mm-hmm. There's a certain, for me, it's like 25 minutes. I get a good vacuum that doesn't stick to the blades too hard. Um, so they're easy to remove. But And I get a really clear white surface. And when I mean vacuum, I mean there's literally no air in the bag. Like, I'm looking at it, and I can I can see a 90-degree curve, 90-degree corner, where the vacuum has sealed around the blade. Like, there's no no air. It's really crisp all the way around. Yep. Um, so are, are your... That'll really do that if you don't use um, powder. Because mine used to do that, and they would stick so bad because yes. they would uh-huh. be sealed against the bag. I would have to surface grind the bag off. Oh wow! <laughs> oh my Wait. gosh! So, so I left it in it one time for forty-five minutes, and it did that. It it literally almost like welded to the blade. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at twenty-five minutes, it it's a very nice vacuum, and it's removable. And okay. it's really so, really so consistent like colors. You're, you're leaving them in the oven for twenty-five minutes at temperature you mean correct yes so i put i oven goes to 1950 and they go in for 25 minutes and it, it's literally a dummy check that if i pull open a, the door and they're not vacuumed in i leave them in for another five that rarely happens but if i'm being not precise with my timing um i just make sure that the bag is vacuumed down and then i quench okay see uh, that's where i don't know if i'm being dumb or better is is i put mine in the oven at room temperature and ramp it up to 1950 and that takes like a couple hours and then i have it hold for like 15 minutes at at 1950 so i highly recommend you don't do that because the the bags will lose their strength if they're soaked for too long oh really yeah so so that the 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 steel foil that that is creating those bags is it is a heat treat foil. It's made to withstand high temperatures, but it is degrading. I mean, there's a reason they turn black and they're unusable after you use them. Mm-hmm. And so if you soak them at any temperature, like you're, they're, they're probably at 1500 degrees up until your, your quench temperature for like an hour, which is too long for those bags to maintain their strength. I, you know, that, you that probably late. must be it. I, I just thought it's better for the steel, like, giving it more time to reach temperature and not shocking it. Uh, Wait, so you guys are going to the, what's the word? It's like austenizing? Austenizing temperature. Austenizing temp. So that's the actual heat treat temperature. You're going Correct. to there and then putting the blades in? Yes. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Because I'm, so, I'm doing the room temp thing. Okay, so oh. 
Let, I, this is, you know, a little, a couple semesters of metallurgy. Um, I, I could be wrong with this, but what I was taught, or at least what I got from the class is it really doesn't matter how fast you get to temperature. It really matters how fast you slow down, you cool down. Um, the, the, the quench. The quench. So the big things in, in heat treating is the soak is super important. So soaking it at temperature allows the, uh, the, the austenite to form throughout the piece. If you don't soak, it'll only form in certain areas or it'll be inconsistent. You need to make sure you soak at temperature right. so, so that the crystals, the, um, what are they called? The grains can actually create themselves. Um, and then the, the quench is you have a window, which, you know, we all plate quench. So plate quenching is getting the temperature to lower at a certain speed that falls within the window that creates martensite. If you quench too fast, it'll create different things. If you quench too slow, it, it'll create different things. Um, but we're looking for martensite, and so the quench is really important. Getting to temperature is almost irrelevant. It's as fast as possible. Um, and th- as far as the actual heat treat goes. But for us, since we use the vacuum bags, um, if you leave them in for too long, like I said, the vacuum bags will s- straight up deteriorate, and then they will... They'll either allow air to get through them or they'll like slowly puncture or your, your crease at the very top will slowly unravel if you leave them in for too long. Yeah. And so all those things are problems caused by leaving it in the oven for too long. So I've, what I've seen is it's better to just go as fast as possible to eat up and then quench. And I just worry how much heat my oven loses too, opening it up. It, mine it's- loses like a hundred, uh, degrees or so and then it usually yeah. ramps back up pretty quick but like the the big thing like when it's losing that temperature is that's also just fresh air rushing to the actual uh temp sensor yeah like the actual yeah I, I, I don't, i'm sure the accuracy air. isn't perfect yeah um <laughs> no that's interesting because well so well another question is so do you guys do any like uh before hardening do you do any like annealing or normalizing or anything like that i don't uh, no, no, you just no, use yeah. whatever the steel came as. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's well, how I do too. But that's one of the things when people, have, you know, I've had like frustrations with too much bend happening after machining. Uh, people tell me I should have normalized so, it first. Uh, rough. Uh, my my experience and a little bit of um, schooling tells me that powderized steels don't need to be annealed. Yep. Um. If if you're working with you know high carbon steels that have been forged on and stuff like that, annealing is crucial. You it re- is a requirement. Well, there's um, a difference between the like annealing and and uh, normalizing. I, I I was watching uh, knife steel nerds latest video. Right. And I, I guess with with normalizing, you can just heat it up to like 1400 or whatever. It makes a more uniform grain structure, and then you can just cool it down basically however you want whereas with annealing you bring it up to a long temp uh high temperature even higher uh hold it for longer and then you have to slowly cool it and so yeah. you either need an oven that's capable of uh cooling it very slowly or he talked about you can like get some kind of material at home depot or something that you can put it in if you don't have a electric furnace uh to make it cool much slower yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so the, the normalizing is basically allowing the grains to settle and and the stress to to leave the 
the grain structure. The powderized steel that we have from from Crucible is like engineered to be an ideal grain structure. And so yeah. as long as you don't forge it, then it it is already perfect. Um, so you, you that, shouldn't that kind of need sense, to, yeah. to mess with it. If you start forging it, then yes, you absolutely, you, you'll want to normalize it and get everything back in. But for us, which is pure stock removal, I don't, I don't believe it's, it's necessary. Well, stress, stress is put into the material and machining. I don't know how much internal stress is happening on, on the level we're talking about or not. I don't know. Because, I right. mean, I'm sure it's some. Uh, if if I'm having blades warp after hard milling it, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, or or even before hard milling it, if, if it's warping, you know, you're releasing stress in the material and creating new stresses. Absolutely right. I, w- I was looking at it from my process, which is I the only thing I do before heat treat is grinding, which is not super stressful. Yeah. Um, but if, if you're machining, yeah, you're, you're well... You're, I would say that you're probably not inputting stress as much as you're removing stress in certain spots. Um, I, I think that's probably a good way to think about it. Y- yeah. So it kind of depends on your process, but I, I wouldn't anneal or, or normalize, I don't think. Well, I could be wrong. I, if you're getting bending stuff, it could be worth a shot. You know, I don't know. I, I think I've got my process pretty figured out, and I still think I'd going to try not to do all the heat trading myself i just have done it when i want to try things okay. uh, more quickly uh do you guys have a a second oven for tempering or just the same oven i have a second same. one i have the same one because it's awesome i want your oven <laughs> it's yeah. so good john did you uh, yeah i have a second one with an annoying timer is it <laughs> like and a- i used my house oven the other week Nice. Yeah, I used to do that a lot. Yeah, because I was like, "It's 12 p.m. I'm not staying up till like four in the morning <laughs> to do this." Yep. Yeah, I uh, I'm trying to figure out tempering because well, you know, in the past I was just trying to go as hard as possible, which was pretty dumb for scissors trying to go above 60 Rockwell. Yeah. Uh, now I'm trying to go lower, and I looked at a chart to figure out what I should do, and it was like. I guess uh, at 1950, I could go up to like 700 degrees or something or 800. Uh, but if you go higher than that, then uh, you potentially are losing some like toughness and corrosion resistance. Yeah. Uh, but it's weird how it's not as simple as the higher tempering temperature, the softer the steel is. Right. Uh, it, you... There's like a slight curve to it. And where it gets hard again, it's it's strange. And then if you harden it at like 2050 instead of 1950, then it changes the values you get for tempering. Yeah, and it, it's it's very strange. And so I've I I ended up with uh somewhere between 55. If I, if my files work, uh, I ended up between 55 and 60, which is kind of harder than I wanted. I, yep. I wanted more like 55. You may have uh, to um. You may have you may have to heat treat at a slightly lower temperature. I've done uh, CPM one fifty four. I was doing a uh, what are those pocket knives that just have a spring on the spine slip slip, slip joint? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Slip joints. I did a slip joint prototype for someone, and they wanted um they wanted a forty Rockwell CPM one fifty four uh spine 
spring. Oh, okay. Uh, and so that I actually had to te- or I had to heat treat it at uh, like seventeen hundred degrees in order oh. to in in order to get it that low uh, on hardness because you couldn't you, temper it back far do enough. Do you feel like you got it? Like, do you have a hardness tester? I don't. I, I didn't at the time. Um, I could definitely tell it was right around the forty range though. Okay. Because just by the way it machines, I, honestly, your eye chronometer was dialed. <laughs> it was more. It was more my. I guess my my ear chronometer while it was machining, yeah. and also how springy it was afterwards. Uh, I could so, put a fair bit of bend in it without it snapping, like a, a lot of bend in it without it snapping, but it was still significantly hard. So huh. if if I had to guess, is you didn't you didn't create austenite? You probably made um, cementite or something along. I don't possibly, maybe you you or, made a different or just thing. Austenite, maybe I don't know. Well, so it, I don't remember the exact temperature for 154, but I'm pretty sure it's 1800 is the austenitic temperature. And okay, so then you will not. Yeah, so you will not form austenite if you don't meet meet that threshold. Yep. At all, and so you probably and like this is a, a this is not bad, but it's bad for blades because we're right. trying to get as hard as possible. But yeah, you can you can heat treat lower. You'll you'll form different grains. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe it was something different. But uh, well, and then I I don't know if I made it clear when I was saying if I go to a higher temperature, if I go to two fifty, if I go hundred degrees higher, it actually makes less hardness. Right. Okay. And so all the all these things have like a slight curve to them, which is yep. kind of counterintuitive. Right. Where where you could go higher and end up with lower hardness in both the hardening going higher and in the tempering. There's a point where it kind of reverses, which is weird. Hmm. Um, uh, we are right at an hour. If you guys want to, start we talked about up. a lot of good stuff. I think we did. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty happy with this. You awake still, John? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm alive. <laughs> good. All right. All right. Cool. See you next week. Thanks everybody. for listening. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.